welcome to Countdown to Eternity with Pastor James Cadiz and Monkey. We have a very important announcement today. They'll also be discussing the news that Vladimir Putin just met with the Crown Prince of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia with the intent to come to an agreement on oil prices and OPEC. The implications of such an agreement are far-reaching and undoubtedly relate to Bible prophecy. Ezekiel 38 is definitely at the front of people's minds for very good reason. Well, hello, my dear brothers and sisters. I want to welcome you to another episode of Countdown to Eternity. And folks, before we start the episode, which, by the way, we are going to talk about Russia and Saudi Arabia. And there is quite a conversation to be had there. We're going to talk about the Middle East, OPEC, and everything in between. But before we have that conversation, we need to make a very special announcement. And I want to say this before we do this, because I think it's important. Anytime God orchestrates any type of change that happens in any ministry or any life issue, especially when people are walking closely with the Lord, like Monkey and me and many of you, it always amounts to something better. So um, we just wanted to update you guys on some changes that are coming up. Uh, they were going to be in the new year, but... Things have changed a little bit. We want you to know. Uh, I want to say this first and foremost. The ministry of Countdown to Eternity is going to continue on, but we're going to continue on with some changes. So I wanted Monkey to maybe share a little bit of that. Um, so go for it, bro. Yeah, no, I, you know what, it's, uh, you know, I've been talking about this and my plan was to, after the first of the year, just uh, start to kind of streamline everything that I'm doing. I've been fighting, as you know, with my, with just health issues for a while. I mean, over a year now that uh, it's been just an uphill battle, right? And uh, I, for those that, that aren't aware, I, I had long COVID twice. And um, there is a small percentage of folks that get long COVID. And this may even apply to some of you out there that uh, develop a, a intestinal bleed. And it is uh, the spike proteins uh, hit that intestine. And then they basically just continue to bleed to the point where you lose uh, you know, you lose a lot of blood, um, you become anemic, you have to have transfusions and all kinds of stuff. There is no cure for it. And, um, and I'm just, uh, it's, I've just been fighting with it for so long that now I've got to just change what I'm doing and kind of focus on my health for a change. Uh, and just, you know, start working on me, getting, getting the old me back and start to, uh, get a little bit of life back into me. And so that's my goal is, uh, is to do that. And so, um, I was telling you that I was going to, uh, stop at the end of the year and just uh, start taking up, you know, something, a hobby or, or, or whatever it may be, and just start to kind of shift my work-life balance a bit. Um, and, uh, and I've just been, because of the season that I'm in right now, being very busy, it's, I'm just run down completely to where I'm, it's, I'm on the verge of getting really sick. And so I, I just need to go ahead and take that break now and, and start to uh, uh, rebalance everything. Yeah, and the next time I'm in Texas, I'm not kidding. I'm because I'm going to be there in a few months. Yeah. I am going to bring a radio control helicopter with me, and <laughs> it's going to be one that I'm going to teach you to fly. I'm going to leave right. it with you, All so right. that you have a hobby that you can uh, that you can take on. And uh, there's a lot of great people in Texas, by the way, that uh, yeah. that are flying them and doing a great job with it. So we're going to yeah. do that. Um, the one thing I will tell you guys is that um, I have a, I, listen. I've been encouraging Monkey very adamantly to take, to take some time and focus on his health and get better. And yeah. I think that the decision he's making is very wise. Um, it comes at a loss for us in that he's not with us every week. 
Um, and for some of you, you might feel that as well because he's going to slow down his regular schedule as well a little bit. Yeah. And um, with that, uh, I think that it will be good. I think the Lord will use it. And I want to encourage you guys with the understanding that Monkey is uh, going to continue like uh, we are, right? Staying close to us. We're all in fellowship. We're all seeking the Lord together. And it's a time of just encouragement and um, just a little bit of a change and a focus. And what we do with Countdown to Eternity is going to continue. We are always striving to make it the best show that we can possibly make it, the most informative and the most insightful. And we're going to continue on with that. And over the next few weeks, we'll have different guys that will be joining me just as kind of a, a, a time in the as we're going through the holiday season to kind of get through that. And then we've got some big changes coming around the corner, which we're really excited about. We think it's going to be great and beneficial to everybody, and you're going to love it. We're going to continue to update you on the latest and greatest and all the things related to Bible prophecy, and it's just an exciting thing. So we are definitely, definitely praying for Monkey. And for those of you guys that are watching us live uh, are uh, on the premiere here of the episode of Countdown to Eternity. Our live show, which is the next day, will be the last live show that we do together, uh, at least for a little while, um, yeah. while Monkey is um, recouping and getting better. And it's important. I, I've, I've, I don't know how many times I've said this to Monkey. I've said it more times than I can remember. But I've said I would much rather, I mean very much so rather, uh, that you know we lose you for a while here than we lose you forever, Right. Um, and that's that's like a big deal to me, and uh, I think there's a lot of us that agree with that sentiment. It's a very important one, and it you know refocusing and, and spending time and energy and effort on doing the right thing for you and your family is a really important thing to do. So we're grateful for that. With that, <laughs> dude, I I don't know uh, what to make of the insanity that surrounds what we have been reading or yeah. what we've been reading itself. Okay. Um, I, I will read the title of a Reuters report that came in, and uh, this is Reuters World News. Now, mind you, there's some interesting things. There's an interesting take on all of this that I think we have to filter through a little bit, right? But it says this. This is a title. Russia's Putin, Saudi Crown Prince discuss further OPEC plus cooperation in whirlwind visit. Okay, now, it's interesting because there is a lot of stuff that kind of came out of this. And if we were to summarize it, I think it would be important to note the fact that this is right on track with so many of the things that we have expected to see uh, developing in Bible prophecy. And namely, one of the things I want to just bring up right away as we get into this discussion is to simply say that when Ezekiel 38 happens and we know that the nation of Israel is attacked, all of the people that are named, including Israel, are all friends with one another, right? And Saudi Arabia will be the biggest dissenter to what Russia does with all of those other nations, fully, fully with the understanding that they're all friends and speaking with the understanding that what's happening right now is very real and what's taking place is something substantial. It's, I think it's really important to note that Saudi Arabia is going to say, hey, friend, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? What, what in the world are, is like going through your mind, right? Um, and so it's interesting to read that their relationship is improving, right? While there's a lot of other things that are happening in the midst of this. So, uh, Monkey, uh, initial reaction to this? Yeah, no. So you have to back up a little bit, right? And, and think about the fact that the relationship between Biden and the, the Saudi prince is not good. Right. 
And so remember that Biden tries to claim that he is the the guy that's pushing this this Mid-East peace deal, right? <laughs> and now all of a sudden he comes out and he says, hey, listen, uh, you know, I believe that the October 7th attacks took place because of me pushing the, the peace deal, when the reality is they've been trying to keep him at arm's length on this the entire time. Yep. And so that aspect of it is is the first piece. The other thing, too, is we have to remember that Russia is in the same areas that the United States are right now. They're in Syria. They're in Riyadh. They're in Egypt, right? So they're all around the region. They're in Turkey. Uh, and so this uh, this relationship that is strengthening with the Saudis in the peace deal, uh, I think, is going to be key to all of this with, with the Russians because we know back in 2017 the Russians came up with a trilateral agreement uh, between Turkey, Iran, and Russia which is going to be key to Gog Magog. So this is yep. this is a really interesting. Anytime you see these these folks all playing together, it just goes to show you how much the United States really isn't in it. And it makes me also question whether or not this whole Middle East thing, October 7th, has something to do with the United States trying to disrupt that whole peace agreement. Yeah, and I think that there's there's a lot to be said about this. Uh, number one, if we back up with respect to the United States involvement, when we saw those two carrier groups headed down to the Mediterranean, one of the things that we made very, very clear was that there were ulterior motives with respect to this. We knew that an overwhelming majority of this had to do with Russia, but there was a secondary reason why that carrier group was there, and that carrier group was an attempt being made by the United States to reinsert itself as a major player in the Middle East yeah. when, in essence, it removed itself from being a major player yeah. when it did two very specific things. The first thing that it did was it declared, this is, uh, of course, Biden, he declared the Yemeni Houthis as no longer enemy combatants or terrorists, yeah. which, by the way, substantially destabilized a good portion of the Middle East, right? We know that, right? If you look at everything south of Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia itself, when you look at the uh, the area of Aden, when you uh, look at even the neighboring African countries like Djibouti and some of these other areas where there's a gateway into the Red Sea, when you uh, when you stop for just a second to take a look at many of the other countries that would be affected by this as well, like Kuwait, like Iran, like Iraq, uh, Jordan, uh, undoubtedly, Israel, of course, one of the first countries, but people don't think about things like uh, Eritrea or Ethiopia or Somalia, all of them that are close to the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea, then it affects everything in the Arabian Sea, the Persian Gulf, the Indian Ocean. Look, all of those things are things that were greatly affected by the declaration that the United States made. So that's the first variable. The second variable, and one that we have to look at very, very closely, and is extremely important to consider, is that on top of him doing that, he then goes to Putin. This is Biden. He goes to Putin. He has a close meeting with Putin. I don't know if everybody remembers this. They're meeting face-to-face, -face, and they have a joint conference where they get up in front of the whole world, and Putin proudly speaks of the fact that now they are going to commence the finishing of their Nord Stream pipeline, and Biden is, is just excited, as could be, because he says that he's doing it, and not only is he happy about supporting Russia and giving Russia permission, because remember, the United States of America had to give them permission. They were the key NATO uh, uh, representative in order to allow that to happen. So when all of that took place, 
Then, this is the amazing part, then Biden in that conference talks about the fact that he's also thrilled because they're getting an added bonus out of it. And the added bonus was that Russia and Putin was going to handle some of the problems that have now erected in Syria as a result of some of the destabilization that took place, not only with the Houthis, but the destabilization that has actually taken place as the, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, the insane people. uh, (laughs) Let me just say this. The insane leader of Iran began to feel the empowering that he began to feel when all of this began to uh, to take place. So Russia comes in and says, we'll take control of that. Now, the bigger problem that happens is at that same time, Saudi Arabia says, I'm sick of dealing with the United States because of their uh, their declaration with respect to the Houthis. We can no longer use American equipment to defend ourselves because of what they actually said. It would be like facing a, uh, a friend of the United States of America, and that becomes a problem. So they go to Russia at the same time, and Russia makes sure that the United States is kind of okay with it. And Russia begins to sell its arms over to Saudi Arabia. So not only do you have a full destabilization in the region, but you have a nation that is now remarkably castrated, for lack of a better term. America is fully castrated from its ability to be able, just completely cut off from its ability to be able to be the big player in the Middle East. They stopped being the big player in the Middle East. Now, the other thing that I want to point out, and I think it's it's really important, is by him reinserting himself in the Mediterranean, This is an attempt that he's actually making to get involved, back involved in Mideast policy by becoming a broker of some sort with this war that's going on between Israel and Hamas, good and evil. And the problem with that is he does not understand, nor do his handlers recognize the fact that Israel doesn't give a flipping rip about what the United States of America is going to tell them to do or not do because they created that circumstance. And not only did they create that circumstance, but those in Saudi Arabia believe the same thing because they created the circumstance. And nobody has a greater stated interest in seeing Hamas destroyed than Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia knows that America is not going to back her play. So uh, I know that I just spewed out a lot here, but it is very important to lay this out because the geopolitics of this thing are very complex, very complicated. And the subject of their discussion here with respect to OPEC Plus is unique because they're talking about price controls. And that's kind of a scary discussion for them to be having. Well, it is uh, because you have to remember, too, that Biden mentioned six, eight months ago when it comes to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and the fact that we have been draining ours in the United States down to record levels that haven't been seen since 1982, that uh, they said, or well, the United States said that we will start to replenish the SPR once it gets to about $70 a barrel. Well, because of Russia and the OPEC agreements going on right now, they are doing everything they can to keep that that uh, the oil prices elevated so that the United States can't replenish the SPR. And that's what we see in play right now is that they're putting the squeeze on the United States knowing that that is probably going to go to 140 a barrel because 100%. of the destabilization within the Middle East. And so th- it's going the complete opposite direction. And so this is uh, something that I've, I've been coining for a while when it comes to this current administration. And they, they have a technique called jellyfishing. And it's because they don't have the knowledge to go in and do what it really takes to correct the situation. They go in and they, uh, you can take, for example, director or the, uh, the DOT guy, right? The transportation guy, uh, booty gig. Right. He doesn't have any background in doing that at all. And so That's what right. happens is he goes in to try to fix a situation. And instead of 
rectifying it, he creates two or three more situations, and that's called jellyfishing. It's it's uh, you basically replicate it. You you take that jellyfish and instead of making it whole and keeping it uh, you know lively and fresh. You uh, you mess with it, and now all of a sudden you get jellyfish parts all over the place, and that is what this administration does is jellyfishing, and they do it really well. You almost to a point where you think this has to be intentional to some degree. Now, I think the whole thing that happened right now with Saudi and with the Middle East and this thing with with Israel, I think the United States was trying to to put a, a certain course of action into play, and I think it has backfired on them, and that's why 100%. they're telling Israel that hey, you have to wrap this thing up by January second because. Uh, or January, because they know that if they continue to see the destabilization within the Middle East, like we're seeing right now, and it gets even bigger, uh, the, the the price per barrel of oil is going to go astronomically high. You could probably see $180, $200 a barrel at, at the way uh, this has the potential of going. Yeah, and and I will and I will tell you this. Um, I I it, well, let's go back and address your jellyfishing comment because it's a very very dead on comment, right? Um, and matter of fact, it's interesting to me that you, you talked about the SPR for a lot of people uh, might not ne necessarily recognize the connection between the change in the SBR and what's going on with the jellyfishing that's been happening with all of these leaders, whether it be the transportation secretary, whether it be the energy secretary, which, by the way, created a good portion of this problem, as well as so many of the other issues that we see. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is one of these areas that is very misunderstood by a lot of people, right? And a lot of people don't recognize that the SBR is no good. And, and I know this is controversial to say some people might not agree with me, but the SBR does us absolutely no good if we are not energy independent, okay? Because the way that people look at the SBR is they say that this reserve sits as kind of a uh, backup in case we have uh, a major problem. Well, the problem is this. If oil gets cut off to us and all we do is depend upon the SPR, we maybe have a day or two worth of oil, if that. Uh, we, we don't have a lot. There's very, very little. And and I don't know that exact number, but I can tell you it's a nominal number, right? Yeah. Well, the, the U.S. consumes about 20 million barrels a day. So it's going to be, I think last I checked, it was about two weeks. Was, was yeah. What we okay. Had. Yeah. I didn't realize the SBR was that had that had that many barrels in it already. I, I didn't realize that it came back up to that number. That's amazing. I mean, that to me is like, wow. Yeah. Uh, but but I will tell you this, even lot, no, right. No, you're right. But to me, that's a lot considering what I was looking at in the past. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the most uh, uh, the most recent numbers that I was looking at when I was analyzing all of the attempt at them making uh, price changes in the um, in the oil was yeah. uh, in the cost of oil was them significantly depleting the SPR, which, by the way, was so full that uh, it got to the point under the under the previous president that countries were paying us to take oil. Right. Instead of actually us paying them. And there's a very important uh, reason for that, because there's a certain point where if you overproduce, then you're going to have a problem with your current production. And there's uh, mechanical reasons for that. There's, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. But my whole contention is this. an SPR doesn't do us any good as a nation if we are not energy independent. It, the SBR was designed in essence to function as almost a, uh, for, for lack of a better term, de-attenuator, 
you know, of uh, current market flows. It, it, in essence, what it basically does is it, it it takes the ripples right out of the deltas that exist within oil prices. Because if you're personally producing your own oil and that SPR is where it needs to be, it creates the kind of buffer necessary to control market demand and yeah. facets of what happens with respect to futures and speculation and how the market stabilizes more than it does giving you backup for oil that you don't have or that you do have. And that's not understood by a lot of people. A lot of people think that, well, you know, the SPR represents our, our backup. Well, going back to the whole jellyfishing comment, what we have done with our SBR is we have not only taken away its ability to level out any attenuation that might have created, and I know attenuation is a term mostly used with radio frequency, but it still applies here, right? You're taking out the ripples in the delta, right? That exists oftentimes with the ebbs and flows in, in what the oil prices do using the SPR. It's doing the opposite now. Now it's actually creating massive deltas. In other words, you're seeing massive price spikes and then into massive drops because the reserve is being used incorrectly. And and in, in all honesty, that only can happen if you're incompetent and you don't understand the way the energy uh, um, ebb and flow really is in our country. And that's a serious issue. And it's something a lot of people don't think about. And this is why this discussion with Russia and OPEC, really uh, the discussion with Russia and MBS is such a significant one, especially because it has implications with Libya. And that's even something we don't have the time to get into, you know, but it is, it is very significant. Yeah, no, it really is. I, you know, a good example of, of, Companies that hedge, and not just the SPR, but say uh, the airlines, for example, they'll go out and they buy futures in oil. Yes, yes. So that when you have the big spikes in fuel prices and costs, uh, it, we don't feel it as a consumer immediately. It doesn't kill the airline. So you're not paying, you know, one one week you're paying $120 for a round-trip ticket to Phoenix, uh, and the next week it's, uh, you know, $3,060 because the cost of fuel. Um, and so they basically offset it, and they go out and they buy in seven-year increments, and they get it when it's really low, and that's what they do. Our, our SPRs, you know, should be operating in a fashion that way too. It also is designed so that if we go to war, uh, we've got some reachback for our troops. It's, it's, there's a whole bunch of different functions to that thing. And the Russians know, and so do the Saudis, who don't like us, either one of them, uh, they know that we're trying to get it to a certain price point so that we can replenish that and we're not so vulnerable. And I think what's happened is it has come home to roost, right? All of yeah. our meddling and politics around the world is starting to catch up with us. Yeah, you, and bro, you're 100% right. And understand this, the airlines now are even beginning to change the way that they buy oil ahead of time or the way they buy fuel. They're now beginning to store their own fuel. Yes. And they used to never do that. Like you said, what they would do is they would buy option contracts into the futures, yeah. basically, and and uh, they would take advantage of the deltas and they would oftentimes sell on the intrinsic value of the option contract to make the money back. So for example, if they bought an option contract that entitles them to buy oil at a very specific price, and they would buy it, you know, five years out in time, you know, to, by the way, those products were only created for the airlines, right, yes. um, in the market. And and let's say they skyrocket. Let's just say the price of oil goes to $200 a barrel, and they're buying it now at a reflected price of $100 a barrel. What they end up doing is they end up selling some of those options contracts at the intrinsic value and make themselves a killing, then take that money, reinvest it in the airline itself to yeah. improve things. And then go back and do all of the, the changing that they need to do. And they become very, very good at that. But they're not doing it that way anymore because they know that those options contracts are only going to be as good as the paper that they sit on if the market fails. Yeah. And they know that the market can fail. 
especially if we become so dependent upon OPEC plus uh, determinations or variables that exist within the Middle East. It's a huge, massive problem, and they know that. And oftentimes, you—I mean, you've talked about this, Monkey. You, you've made this very clear, and you've—you've you've, you've said it many, many times. You want to look at some of the indexes created by the business movements to be able to understand and determine where governmental actions are taking place. It's a very good indicator, and you can see it very clearly, just like those shipping indexes that you look at on a regular basis. It's the same kind of thing. You—you—you uh, you, you better understand it, and it's—it's it's serious stuff. So. We are embarking upon a serious change, bro. <laughs> that's, that's all I got to say. We didn't even get into BRICS or any yeah. other stuff oh, oh. because that is on the horizon where the United States is could find themselves having to buy oil using somebody else's money. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. And we are, we are very rapidly heading in that direction. And if you thought $120 a barrel was expensive, yeah. imagine the price dropping to $110 a barrel, but it actually costs us the equivalent of $200 a barrel because of the foreign currency exchange rates. Yeah. There, there, there are so many complications that BRICS brings into the picture. And um, I think that those exchange rates will be so extreme that it's going to force the rest of the world into a cashless society, which of course is something we read about in Revelation. Yeah. Um, uh, heavy stuff but monkey look we're, we're out of time bro guys we love you so much and we do sincerely hope that you enjoyed watching this as much as we've enjoyed making it this is a bittersweet one but we love you so much from the bottom of our hearts you guys fight the good fight keep doing the work of the lord and we'll continue on as we count down to eternity you've been listening to countdown to eternity with pastor james cadiz and monkey replay and share this informative episode by going to countdown to eternity.com Countdown the number two, eternity.com. James Gaddis is on YouTube as well. There you'll find the video version of Countdown to Eternity, as well as our daily prophecy updates. Pastor James goes live virtually every day of the week. We're pumping out short videos left and right, helping you stay informed with the very latest news and information relating to Bible prophecy. Just search for James Gaddis on YouTube, Rumble, and Instagram and watch these videos live or on demand. Hey, are you a longtime listener or new to the program? We want to hear back from you. Send us your thoughts, questions, and prayer requests. You can email us through the website at countdowntoeternity.com. Countdown, the number two, eternity.com. And we'd also appreciate your support as you're able and God leads. Get behind what we're doing when you visit countdowntoeternity.com. And be listening each week at this time as the Countdown to Eternity continues. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill.